At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Finishing up this 15-60, and 60, talking about the West teams that made moves at the trade deadline. I hope everyone had a chance to check us out on NBA.com doing the live call of Grizzlies and Clippers today. But now it's back to business as normal with the Denver Nuggets. What are their fundamentals, please, Danny? The Nuggets are 39 and 18. They are currently 10th in the league in net rating, plus 3.6, 8th in offense, and 12th in defense. And not a surprise that they're going to make the playoffs. Uh, there, There's a, a difference in the ELO versus Raptor projections, but we'll, we'll look at the ELO ones for now. That project predicts that the Nuggets will win 54 games, which is just above a big batch of other teams to actually finish second in the West behind the Lakers. Yeah, and where they are right now... A little lucky for the second consecutive year, at least through a lot of the year. They actually normalized pretty well with their point differential last year. Um, But if you look at both their number of wins over their point differential, and then also some of the shooting luck that they've been experiencing this season, they may not be quite as good as their record would indicate here. Uh, At least over the course of the regular season, they've also had a lot of injuries that they've dealt with. But at least in terms of the guys that they put on the floor, I think it's fair to say that they're lucky to have as good a record as they do. Yeah, I I would say that that's fair. And one reason why they've outperformed their point differential is that they have been very successful in crunch time. NBA.com defines this as games within the last five within five within the last five minutes the Nuggets are 23 and 12 in those games they have a plus 12.5 net rating which is eighth in the NBA for those that narrow section of minutes and notably the Nuggets are top 10 in both clutch offense and clutch defense so that that's something positive moving forward there are some teams we've talked about in various phases that are relying more on one end and that they're, they're not doing that and I also pulled some stats on, on Jokic he is using about 32% of possessions in that crunch time. And that's, you know, not super high for a player as good as he is. That's about 20th yeah. of but, players. But it is super high for a big. Yes, that's very true. And, uh, but not not as super high as one of the other bigs I'll talk about. But, but so 30% usage is up there. And, but he is at 60% true shooting. So that's above the league average for a normal game. But you think about how things can tighten up. And as a point of reference, I pulled up all the guys that have a 60 true shooting or better that are around or above his level of, uh, of in the crunch time. And the only guys that are really above him are Joel Embiid with a remarkable 72% true shooting on 38 usage. Harden's at 65% on 38 usage. John Morant, 61 on 40% usage. And then right around the same level in terms of percentages, D'Angelo Russell, 60% true shooting on 38 usage. It's actually significantly higher than Jokic there. But as you said, the big small differential is notable. 
Yeah, now, they did have a clutch failure in the game right before the break that we did for the NBA cast against the Lakers. And despite Jokic with some of the crazy plays that he had, I mean, he, he had that great one-legged right leg fade away over Rudy Gobert in that game right after the break when they were totally shorthanded due to all the trades, uh, as we'll talk about. But the crunch time offense did not look very good against the Lakers and Again, you know, Will Barton was out. The Michael Porter was out. They had some issues, but it was really just reduced to. And also, part of the problem was they had to really get defensive personnel on the floor to deal with LeBron. And so it was just Jokic and Jamal Murray running pick and roll, running handoffs. The Lakers started switching everything and then bringing the second big in to guard Jokic when he rolled to the basket. And Murray wasn't able to really beat that strategy. Jokic wasn't able to beat that strategy. They were really too slow getting into their sets to where they could take advantage of some of that switching behind the play. And so that too big system of the Lakers really caused them some problems. A lot of it was actually, they played AD at center some during that period period but LeBron was the guy coming in behind Jokic and he's actually you know when he's really locked in is able to handle him reasonably well and so I think they scored on maybe like one out of eight seven or eight possessions in overtime and ended up losing that game at home to the Lakers so uh, I do have some concerns about what this team is going to look like in the in the clutch you know I, I think in the playoffs last year as well that when teams are really locked in some of that elbow game if Jokic can't just post up and score they don't have a ton of places to go what have the newcomers looked like for these guys Denver's newcomers haven't done a whole heck of a lot Jordan McRae is playing about nine minutes a game he's been in in four of them so far and you know you can't do a lot in in nine minutes a game and also McRae they brought him in you know to kind of maybe to to be another option in the on the perimeter he's already 28 and will be unrestricted this summer though he will have a minimum cap hold so then the Nuggets could bring him back depending on what the price is but I'm not I haven't been the biggest fan of him even when he was in DC Noah Vonley it looked more like he could have a role while Mason Plumlee was coming back but Mason Plumlee's back so Vonley really only played in one game before Plumlee's return and it looks like he's out of the rotation unless there's another injury. Then Kata Bates' job has played in two games and uh, 10 minutes a game was playing 17 and a half in, in Minnesota. And I think that Tim Connolly and the, and the crew there are going to have a, a decision to make with KBD because he's non-guaranteed until July 7th, but it is a minimum deal. And I, I thought he showed some, showed some signs in Minnesota. So it wouldn't surprise me if Denver just kept him around and then they could also potentially if if the team was interested they could always trade him after that date if, if as long as somebody's willing to take him on guaranteed but he hasn't played a lot for the Nuggets yet so that's more based on his Timberwolves time rather than his Denver time yeah and he's got a non-guarantee for next year but uh KBD can just kind of ease into that maybe they can everyone could just kind of relax and uh let, let, let them uh they'll pick up that third year option is is, is that even remotely ascertainable of like the joke I'm trying to make there is was that is that a cbd thing yes yes <laughs> in colorado too uh although yeah, C- cbd products are, are uh le- legal everywhere apparently um and, and it's uh diop Ke- yeah that's right diop it's uh, not which... it's not sagana job it's Kid yeah Bates, yeah I, i've made that mistake before that's why i remember it um but the, the uh, excellent wolves broadcast that disabused me of that um 
So these guys just ultimately have to get healthy. Porter. Oh, let me let me bring up one is, thing. Is back after the break. Will Barton is back. Everyone, Paul Billsap. I really want to see how this rotation is going to shake out now with some of these new guys as well. No Hernan Gomez, no uh, Beasley. But yeah, sorry. I wanted to finish that before you change yeah, the subject. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so the only other thing I want to mention is one of the arguments, which I made and, and still believe at, at the time they made the trade, was to keep Malik Beasley, even if it could potentially lead to getting nothing for him. You know, if, if another team makes an offer sheet that's strong enough and you decline the match is just to have a have a fail safe in case Gary Harris doesn't work out and Harris is providing value on the defensive end of the floor to be sure but if this ju- if his jump shot is just gone or at least gone long enough that it's concerned then it's going to be very hard for the Nuggets to fill that gap because now a lot of their talented young players are becoming full salary Jamal Murray you know signing that extension which will kick in next year is a great example of that and then oh, oh it'll kick in oh it'll, it'll kick in and so that's it's a weird kind of opportunity cost the idea that you don't have a potential replacement but i especially we'll talk we'll talk about beasley in the minnesota section later on i've been struck by the idea of that yes they got a first round pick for the combined combination for the combination of wacho and beasley but that player you know even if they want to try to use it in a trade it's going to be harder to actualize that to help the current nuggets and while they're young and you could argue that their best days are ahead of them I don't know. It, feel, it feels a little bit weird to me. Yeah, well, their best days might be ahead of them if they're willing to get really expensive, but I don't True. know that they are, right? If they're willing to retain all these young players, that was part of the selling point. Is, oh, we've got all these young guys. They're all going to grow together, but hey, you can't afford to pay all those young guys uh, unless you make more uh, of a financial commitment than it seems like they're willing to at this point. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And now Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. 
Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside and things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us in time speaking of big financial commitments you want to go to the golden state warriors oh yeah they are are, uh yeah go go ahead you can uh they are a robust 12 and 45 6 and 21 since the last time we hit them in a 15 and 60 they are dead last in net rating 9.6 points per 100 possessions underwater last in offense 27th in defense and 538's elo model projects that they will win 19 games which is the fewest in the entire nba it's looking like steph curry's going to come back about a week from now maybe march 1st we don't have that as a specific date i i saw him do some on court work before sunday's loss to the pelicans and it looks like he's getting there you know still a little bit off there's the, the um some potential uh, for nerve damage in in that hand we'll have to keep an eye on that um, yeah yeah he he had some comments uh about that that his left hand doesn't quite feel the same i mean this is you know broken hand this i can't remember anybody ever missing this much time with a broken hand and, and, and i'm sure they were really patient with because of everything that happened this year but also the nerve damage possibility could be another rationale for this yeah and the idea of re-breaking me he had to have two different surgeries a bunch of pins and you know i, I talked to one of their coaches he said he looks normal as ever you know he's you know kind of messing around shooting left-handed floaters and from the free throw line and making them and you know so maybe it's nothing to really be too concerned about but you know a little bit of a reduction in what he can do with his left hand his ambidexterity is one of the best things about his game um so a little bit more news uh, on there Clay Thompson is officially out for the rest of the year no surprise there uh, maybe he'll get some practice time in towards the end of the season you know, that might be useful at least he may play uh, for Team USA we'll see if that's uh, the case or not and they've had all these crazy signings they had nine players on the roster once the trade deadline was complete once their tax avoidance was complete uh, help us sort through all that the Warriors now have four players signed to rest of season contracts. The first of those was Damian Lee, which was actually before the deadline flurry. Lee has 600000 guaranteed for next season, and then he has one fully non-guaranteed season after that, so he is signed potentially through the 22 season. Marquise Chris actually has more guaranteed money for next year. Remember, he was cut 
to to bring Damian Lee up and then was on a two-way and then got brought back. Chris has 800000 guaranteed for next year, and that is his last season on this contract. Kai Bowman has no guaranteed money for next year and is signed through 22. And then Juan Toscano-Anderson, who has looked very good. Remember, he was he was in camp for the Warriors and then was did not make the team, but then now has a rest-of-season contract. He has no guaranteed money and then is signed next season and the year after. So again, until 22. Yeah, Toscano Anderson is interesting, not a name that has come up uh, on this podcast. Maybe we talked about it a little bit in the summer league, but you know, he's 26, 27, has toiled in the G League for a while, was not a, a, a big prospect coming out of college, to be sure. East Oakland native. As uh, maybe someone should tell Marcus Thompson that I'm not sure he's aware of it. But uh, Toscano Anderson is about six six two twelve and is in the top one percentile of hustle players in the league. And he's been playing more as a small ball four, even kind of as a five offensively with Smiley Geach playing the four down in the G League. But you know he'll run guys down from behind. He makes hard cuts. He makes really hard, smart help rotations as fast as he can. You know sprints towards the ball to double team sprints back to his man his effort level is extremely impressive the limitation for him has been the shooting but he's shot it well so far in a warrior's uniform and we'll see i mean you only have to go back to last year to see a guy of somewhat similar ilk although i think to anderson is much better defensively than alfonso mckinney but mckinney started off on fire from three it was kind of this energy guy, but ultimately couldn't reliably hit shots. They were hopefully Toscano Anderson, if he does uh, become a part of this team in the long term, you know, might be on a two way. He might be, you know, just your 15th man, give you some energy, but he wouldn't be the first guy who's a three and D type wing to develop enough of a three point shot to stick around. So uh, I've enjoyed what he's done. He's definitely a, a fun guy to watch. I mean, odds are against him making it, but uh, he if the shot comes around, I mean, he's been pretty aggressive from three. He, he's got some uh, more athleticism. I kind of, you know, Trevion Graham is another one of the guys of this ilk, but Toscano Anderson has a little bit more bounce than Trevion Graham does, not as much strength. Uh, so. Yeah, and, and as a point of reference, Toscano Anderson has taken 94 threes in the G League so far this year and is making 28% of those, so that's not exactly encouraging, but it's yeah. but his free throw percentage is up to 70 this year which is a pretty significant jump off of last year when he was at 60 so yeah. you know you so, hope so so he's not going to shoot the nba3 well enough i mean i do not what, think so what, but what's it would be it, it'd be a nice story and be especially considering he's playing with the local team not as local as they were let's say a year ago but still close enough and that leaves us with the most significant story going on in san francisco for the warriors right now which is andrew wiggins being a you know it's a small sample and i would say he had his worst game as a warrior on sunday night but he has been a more complete contributor than i expected really honestly at any point in his warriors tenure yeah he's thin but his defense has looked pretty solid i mean he's had these big block and steal games uh, and hasn't done a ton on the glass until that new orleans game when he actually had five offensive rebounds um had another two blocks and a steal in that new orleans game uh not taking as many threes that's not a surprise the Warriors don't really generate very many threes in Steve Kerr's system unless you have the two greatest shooters of all time Steph and Clay taking them they are very very low in terms of their three-point attempt rate and their make rate but he, he shot it well there uh 
I think it's interesting that his usage is lower than uh, it's been a lot of his time in Minnesota, given the fewer threats on this team. I kind of think that's a good thing. He's playing more the way that he'll play once Steph Curry and perhaps Klay Thompson come back as well, where he really is going to be a third option. And that, to me, was a criticism of him during his time in Minnesota when he was playing next to Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns, who were both superior options. He was taking possessions out of their hands. Uh, now that that hasn't necessarily been the case, he's been moving more. Uh, ben Falk pointed this out that a far larger percentage of his shots are assisted than in Minnesota, where he's running a lot of pick and roll. Warriors haven't been doing that much of that for him. Uh, certainly as a transition player, he can be a big plus for Golden State. Uh, I do worry a little bit. You know, he is a, still a solid finisher. He does have a pretty good first step still if he makes, you know, real hard decisions attacking on closeouts. Um, he definitely still clearly mentioned this before does not have the same level of athleticism as a dunker and finisher at the rim that he had earlier in his career. And I don't, I'm not sure why that is. Um, you know, I mean, some guys just are, are better leapers earlier in their career and lose them. He's 25. You know, that's about the time that you start to lose it from just a pure raw athleticism standpoint. The skill level usually makes up for that for a couple of years and guys primes are uh, into their late 20s most of the time. Um, so uh, he doesn't get to the free throw line as much as he used to either. So very encouraging to be sure. Uh, and you know, they're going to try and work with him and, and make him better. I still don't want to lose sight of what he's been for the last five and a half years. So, I mean, I, I mean, that's still your prior can adjust. He's on a new team. Maybe he's playing harder. We've seen him play hard, you know, in games against Cleveland, for example, or, or LeBron James when he got traded away from there and he's really motivated, but Ultimately, the fires have not run that hot for him in his career, and maybe that's going to change. Maybe, you know, the good news for the Warriors is they don't need him to be, you know, a big scorer every night necessarily, but the question of whether he can really bring it defensively in transition from a, an overall effort standpoint on a night-to-night basis, 20 games from now, 40 games into next year, that's really the question to me. And that's where whether he can be the, the next Harris and Barnes comes into play is that I mean while Barnes is an imperfect player and and was then he still provided a lot for the Warriors and didn't take as much off the table unless we're talking about him not hitting a shot during certain NBA finals runs but anything like that and so Wiggins is not the same type of player but the overall role actually isn't that different depending I mean because when once they get step back in particular they won't need Wiggins to initiate as you brought up and one thing that is interesting and this is just I think nature of the Warriors ball movement Wiggins had this big rise in his assist percentage this year with Minnesota and that's largely stayed similar with the Warriors they're not running him through the same sets but he is still passing the ball and that that's a good thing and presumably the it- him being a willing passer becomes more important when the Warriors offensive talent dramatically improves which it looks like that's going to happen more next season rather than this season but I it is good that we're going to see a little bit of Wiggins Curry and presumably Draymond Green together once he gets back from this I believe it's a pelvic contusion I can't keep track anymore um we should also mention that it's not he's not on a rest of the year contract yet but the Warriors did do another Phoenix Suns reclamation project they signed Dragon Bell Bender. And Bender intuitively, offensively, defensively, we'll have to see. But offensively, he makes some sense with what Kerr wants to run. He can do he can do things as a passer from the high post. And we saw some of that in, in the loss against New Orleans. 
Yeah, I talked much more about him with Slater on his pod last night. So if you want to hear hear more about that, go ahead and listen to that. Let's uh let's talk Houston Rockets here. 36 and 20, 16 and 11 since the last 15 and 60. They've had some highs and lows during that period, to be sure. They are seventh in the NBA in net rating, plus 4.0. Third on offense at a buck 14. Defensively, they are 15th. Actually, you know, not that bad for where they've been at times. We'll see if they can have this post break surge the numbers with robert covington on the floor for example uh, have been very good so far but uh 110 defensive rating projecting for 53 wins which would be third in the west and they will be making the playoffs some quick news for them uh pj tucker's contract you'll recall it was i mean this might be the best mid-level exception contract ever signed uh, the the track record of those even going going back to 1999 is not particularly positive, but uh, they got him for the full mid-level exception, but the last year was non-guaranteed. They have now guaranteed that fourth year. He was hoping to actually get an extension before the season. Those talks were tabled. Uh, Jeff Green has been signed to a 10-day. He actually played for them over the weekend and Damari Carroll has been bought out in San Antonio he gave back about $800,000 um and no indication yet whether the Spurs have stretched that or not but I I wondered what the story was with Carroll because we thought he could help the Spurs he just hasn't been playing at all so this is yet another indication that the Rockets are going to be doubling down on small ball I mean they've got Hartenstein and Tyson Chandler on the roster but those guys are just not going to play it looks like Jeff Green had played some small ball center for the Wiz last year on occasion with the Cavs the year before that and he's been kind of chilling at home interesting to see whether they give him more after this initial 10 day both sides saying that they want to fit there should be enough time i think forget when the news came down that he actually signed that uh for him to go elsewhere if the 10 day doesn't work out um and he doesn't want to leave but it seems like it's more the rockets are trying to make that decision well, so and, yeah and, go ahead. and the rockets have a they have a bigger decision and i'm actually a little bit worried because they could have theoretically so they created these trade exceptions and everything else in the and they actually still have a portion of their mid-level from moves mid-level they didn't use it in the summer and then with the trade exceptions because of the trades they made at the deadline and now they have i would ballpark it at about five million in wiggle room i haven't seen the exact terms of damari carroll but it's probably rest of the season minimum and some of that they'll need to go to filling out the roster but like for example they could have claimed markeith morris and maybe they did the player option for next year made them a little bit queasy maybe they didn't want to piss off his agent and piss morris off which is not always the greatest thing in the world to do but if they end up just creating this spending power and then not using it considering depth is extremely important they you know Maury has done a nice job overall filling out the roster I'm going I'm going to be disappointed because that was of that was a piece of value created in their trades that needs to be utilized well let's get back to what they've looked like here how these newcomers Oof. have looked for this group Covington is of course the star there he started five of the six games he's played in playing 32 minutes a game already 13 and 7 and the big numbers for for Covington so far he's playing power forward 87% of the time and center 11% of the time that's the epitome of the small ball and then Houston they've defended extremely well since they since during Covington's minutes you know it's 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 191 possessions so it's not like we're dealing with this super large sample using clean the glasses filter but one of three three defensive rating which is phenomenal and even more phenomenal plus 16 net rating during covington's minutes yeah and he's been an advanced stat superstar for 
most of the way here in his career since he really came into his own in Philly and excluding the loss in Phoenix on the second night of a back-to-back after they beat the Lakers in Covington's first game they've looked really good they had that home loss against Utah before the break then they beat Boston pretty comfortably at home they completely destroyed Golden State on the Thursday after the break and then they had a pretty comfortable win in Utah by 10 uh with Harden going off Covington in that game had multiple blocks of Rigo Gobert at the rim just uh, coming over as a help defender and we said it that it really it, the vision that they had for him defensively is really helping that you if you're going to be doing all this switching you're going to have all these mismatches you're not going to have a guy <clears throat> who is a traditional rim protector to clean things up well why don't you get one of the best help defenders from the wing position guys who can dig down prevent penetration get in the passing lanes for steals come over for blocks uh, you know with his uh, underrated length at 6-9 and that's exactly what it's been so far I I think they've uh, looked really good um Jamari Carroll played 13 minutes in that win over the Warriors didn't play in the game at at Utah um what did you think of of them picking those guys up you're you're not a fan I'm not a huge fan there is a really challenging needle to thread for Mori here when they're looking for a very specific type of player that is also available, and that's really hard to do. I mean, so who is available for the minimum that is better than Damari Carroll or Jeff Green? I mean, Damari Carroll, I think, is, is a reasonable signing for it. Jeff Green, to me, looked pretty washed. Remember, Utah could have used Jeff Green, cho- signed him, and then just went, no, nah, we're good. And I think that's, you know, that's a notable sign, and he has a different role to play in Houston than in Utah, and that's sometimes when those work out and we've seen you know that that happened with Kenneth Fareed last year and I thought he you know he helped the Rockets at at, at moments in time so Carol I'm a little bit more positive because he looks like there might be more gas in the tank but his San Antonio run was not exactly inspiring and that's why I would probably I would go a different direction than Jeff Green I'm sure he'll have a good game or two and he'll catch somebody for a dunk or something like that but the game in game out on him I haven't been there for a few years on Jeff Green you could argue for his whole career relative to what other people thought so I I'm still in that camp. And then Bruno Caboclo, remember they originally got Jordan Bell in the initial the initial three-way trade, and then they moved Caboclo. They got Caboclo for Jordan Bell. He's only played five minutes in that blowout, so we haven't really gotten to see the proof of concept there. It's possible he's just more of like a learn the yeah. system, break glass in case of emergency well, type uh, of guy. And even Green and Carroll may be at that sure. level. I mean, I think it's really, to me, one of the big problems is just P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington you know, are... They just can't overuse these guys in the right. regular season. Yeah, you I think need, that's you need really what. Eaters. Right, yeah, exactly. I think that's really what this is all about, right? I, I don't, I mean, unless those guys will have a chance to prove it, but just to, so you can play the same way during the regular season, get some bodies out there where the other team's eyes aren't going to light up about, oh, yeah, let's just go at this dude. They at least look the part defensively. And that, I think, is what this is more about. And if they prove that they're worth playing in the playoffs, then that's fine. But, you know, I, I think it, these signings make sense to me of just, you know, combo forward type of guys who can fit into what they're doing. And they're probably some of the best available. Um, we shouldn't yeah. spend a ton of time on it because we've already spent time on the Rockets. But the new look Rockets, seen them for a, for a little bit now. Focus more on the top six teams in the west are there any that are standing out to you just conceptually more than anything else that are particularly good or poor matchups for the rockets so i think that the lakers they actually can match up pretty well against Uh, i think that the switching system we saw in that first game the lakers clutch offense doesn't look that amazing i don't know that the lakers 
have anybody to guard James Harden that well. We'll see what they decide to do with Westbrook. We've seen teams putting their center on Westbrook. That's what the Rockets did with Gobert. Um, So I think they actually match up with the Lakers pretty well. The Clippers certainly have the personnel, especially now with Marcus Morris, to match up with them. And I think the Clippers have more defensive chops up and down the roster. And I think Kawhi is better than Harden. And I'm not sure that there's anyone on Houston that really is going to guard Kawhi that well. Exactly. And I think think the Clippers, the structure of their offense, I think works better against the switching team as well because Kawhi doesn't care at all. The Nuggets... I don't even know how the hell they're going to begin to defend them them now. You know, you would think that maybe Jokic could go to town against some of these switches, but the the Nuggets are kind of very station to station under Michael Malone. We talked about in their section how late in games, they struggle to get the ball into Jokic against the mismatch. The Rockets do a pretty good job of switching out. They can also, the Rockets double team pretty well. The Nuggets don't have a ton of shooting. If they're going to put Paul Millsap on the floor in particular, uh, or Jeremy Grant, I think the Rockets are going to make those guys hit shots. I'm not sure that they can i actually think that they could struggle against the mavs uh i think that with the spacing of porzingis his ability to shoot over the top of anybody who's guarding him and then luca has shown that he can really beat guys one-on-one with the space that's provided the mavs are going to space the floor they don't have these non-shooters that you can just kind of not guard that's what the rockets thrive on is helping off the right people that's been the case going back to 1718 with these switching systems and so i think uh the rockets are just gonna have to find a way to outscore the mavs and you know it'll be interesting are you gonna put porzingis on westbrook like that would be a certainly a fascinating matchup but if you're just gonna say hey porzingis is gonna wait at the rim he might even be harder to score over than uh gobert uh, at the rim so that'll be fast i can't wait to see those teams match up but i think i don't think the rockets can stop the Mavs at all with this approach and I think some of these other teams they can really throw a monkey wrench in it I don't think they can do that with the Mavs so um I think it, it I, I wouldn't predict them to lose to the Mavs necessarily but I think the Mavs could definitely punch above their weight against the Rockets versus some other teams and I don't think the Rockets would have that much trouble with the Thunder it is true that the Thunder have beaten the Rockets in some high profile games this year but when you get down down to a playoff series the best players play more often and this new look Rockets team I think that offensively it'll be hard for the Thunder to to slow down exactly what they're looking for but then also we talked about helping off non-shooters OKC still has those in the rotation so I think that would you know they'd force they'd force those players to beat them and those players would not well i think the the other problem too is that the rocket size advantage on that three-point guard lineup that okc likes to close the game with i don't know that other than i mean shea would probably be the best at this but who is like your switch buster on the uh oklahoma city thunder uh, chris paul i don't think can really do that that much anymore his yeah i, I think run, pick and roll. their yeah. offensive problems would parallel what the jazz have run into the last couple of years where they just don't have yeah. they, the, they they force you to get basic and okc's offense doesn't necessarily work when it's basic yeah, I thought the Jazz looked pretty good in that first game against Houston with guys like Mitchell and even Conley blowing by guys at the point of attack, and then there just wasn't that much help. Um, you, you know, I think the Jazz are better uh, as a, a attacking switches yes. type of team here now. Um, we, we talked about that on the 15 and 60 before the break. Um, all right, let's talk uh, Clippers here in just a second. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, 
you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Second. The LA Clippers, 37 and 19, 15 and 9 over their last 21 games, sixth in the NBA with a plus 4.8 net rating, seventh on offense, sixth on defense, projecting for a tie for second in the West, 55 wins that would get them out of the Lakers bracket, which I, I think they would prefer, which we would probably prefer as well. Very interesting to see who would be the three seed in that scenario. Catch up on some news here. We know that uh, Reggie Jackson signed for the rest of the season. We'll talk about his fit in a second here. Paul George hurt his hamstring before the All-Star break. Unclear when he's going to be able to return. This is now his second bout with this hamstring issue. And Patrick Beverly has been out since February 3rd. He did practice on Friday, did not play over the weekend. The latest on him as we record this on Monday afternoon is that he is quite Questionable for this game against the Grizzlies. It guess would be he's probably not going to play. They have no reason to rush him along here. So what do you think of the Reggie Jackson signing, which came as a, a bit of a surprise other than the fact that he uh, is buddies with Paul George? It seemed like the Lakers had a much larger need for a creator than the Clippers did, but just having another another capable hand could be useful there. I don't think... My instinct is that Jackson isn't going to warrant playoff minutes. We'll see if that actually happens. Um, but, you know, it, it case the biggest issue for him was that he needed a, a smaller role or to be healthier than the Clippers have the latitude to make sure that he's right and so you know you could think of it as an upside play that if he's good enough he'll he'll contribute and if he's not then he won't and I I do trust that Doc Rivers considering it's not like Reggie Jackson has much equity with Doc is going to overplay him like we expressed the concern previously about some some of the other some of the other players that are on new teams yeah we'll have to see what happens with him there is a thought that well they need someone to bring it all together right a pure point guard who who can pass and run the offense and then once you get into the hands of Kawhi or Paul George that he can get out of the way and hit shots well Jackson you know I think he's I, I don't know that he has the same spot up instincts as someone like Beverly who's been playing that role for a while Jackson has spotted up more as the years have gone on and as his pick and roll skills have waned a little bit but that's still what he likes to do is play as a pick and roll guy overall 
defensively he's nowhere near as good as beverly he's not anywhere near as good as a pick and roll offensive player as lou williams so it'd be hard pressed to say that he should take any of their minutes at least when it really matters you know that they beverly has maybe been playing a little bit too much and you know maybe that's part of why he's breaking down and so to limit his minutes the rest of the year might be a good idea but then Landry Shaman has been on fire lately. Uh, he's better defensively than Jackson as well. So you've really got these three guards. And then you also got Marcus Morris that could push Paul George and Kawhi Leonard down a position on, on the spectrum. They still got Jermichael Green. So yeah, he seems to me, I know he started in this game with Beverly out his first game where he wasn't too impressive. I don't quite see the point of it. I think he would have been useful for the Lakers. They kept him away from the Lakers. We felt kind of the same way about Marcus Morris in some respects uh because i think he would have been an upgrade for the lakers on rondo but yeah i i really don't necessarily necessarily see the point of this for the clippers and projects and maybe he just wants to be in a winning situation he cares about that and if that's the case more power to him but i'm not sure this is even like a good move for his career because i'm not sure how much he's gonna play and once you do, once you take a buyout there is arguably a little bit of a stigma to that this idea that you're clearly not worth your contract anymore essentially let's jump to marcus morris and it hasn't been to me a, gr- a great start he's started all four games that he's played in before monday night's contest against the grizzlies playing 33 minutes a game 42 percent from the field and 28 percent from three i expect both of those to improve and then something else that's crazy he's turning the ball over on 18 percent of his possessions and only assisting on 6.3 percent and that ball dominance and turnover dominance has not been a welcome addition i expect those the some of that to get sanded out but it has been a a rough transition so these numbers very early on here obviously uh, biased energy 16 percent usage is you might say all right yeah that's pretty good right he's not hijacking the offense he's not shooting more than he should that's great right Ah, you dig a little deeper maybe not because you the whole point of his skill set was three and d does have some other stuff that he can do but they have george williams and leonard all of whom should be above him in the pecking order as the score so he's spotting up 25 percent of the time yeah he shooting poorly from three five of 18 that doesn't matter he's going to come around there you would think but 24 percent of the time spot up 16 percent pick and roll ball handler 14 percent post up eight percent iso so you add all those up and 38 percent self-created offense 24 percent others creating for him and then even on a handoff as well as another eight percent of his offense so and that's kind of you know i consider that mostly self-created as well you know you're not having someone else make the play for you to create the opening so that's really what concerns me a little bit more and this team despite the fact that they have all this offensive talent they don't take a ton of threes they don't generate a ton of spot up opportunities for anyone other than shaman everyone else is kind of you know capable shooter and so morris yeah shooting uh, amazingly well 43 percent or whatever it was from three but they really i think need him to just stand out there and shoot it i don't know that he has the instincts to just the to hunt those shots to move without the ball along the three-point line when others are attacking we've also been a little bit concerned about the way that he has stopped the ball when he does get his opportunities and so yeah you might say hey you know he hasn't been hijacking things he hasn't been that aggressive but when he does get the ball then he still is going into his iso game he is stopping the ball and that's a little bit of a concern i i think doc rivers probably acknowledges that he's a good player he's talented he's better than the guy that he's replacing uh, mo harkless uh, certainly has fewer weaknesses when it gets into a playoff setting he's going to get guarded out there at least but this is not a totally seamless 
fit, then you just say, oh, this guy defends, he shoots 44% from three, let's get him. Right. And it's also an example of why it's so hard for teams to get exactly the right fit. The, the amount of people that can fill the defensive needs that the Clippers had and then can also not only shoot, but shoot only those shots can be can be difficult. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see how it works out. Um, anything else you want to talk about with the Clippers? Yeah, briefly their game against Philly before the break. Uh, I thought that they really struggled to contain Joel Embiid. They yeah. just did not have answers to, for him there. Uh, Manchas Harrell was totally overwhelmed. Physically, they tried to actually close the game out with Marcus Morris at center. That didn't work that well. Embiid was very motivated, obviously, and at his size and strength when he tries to get that deep position around the charge circle. You know, Zubac is really the only one who can contend with him, and he was going to get in some foul trouble. Uh, also interesting to note for them, the defensive numbers with Harrell and with Zubac on the floor superficially look very similar they're within about a point per 100 possession of each other the defensive rating when either of those guys are on the floor and they never play together obviously so it's a direct comparison however if you dig a little bit deeper you'll find that really they are much better defensively with Zubacha on the floor and I'll give you some numbers on that teams shoot eight percent worse at the rim with Zubac in the game versus with Harrell in the game. And teams are shooting 8% worse from three with Harrell on the floor than with Zubac. So to get to those numbers, Harrell is probably really benefiting from some shooting luck of opponents missing three-pointers. Maybe you could say there's something there because when he's out there, they might switch a little bit more. More of those three-pointers might be off the dribble. Yeah, so, so maybe there's a little bit of an argument that he is helping to cause that some more than just you know some other centers. But I'm still not a huge believer in Harold's defense. I thought that he and Lou Williams both really got hurt. Um, one thing that they did do in that Philly game that I really liked was Landry Shamit as a pick and pop guy with, with Kawhi. Uh, I think that could be a really, really awesome weapon for these guys. So um, I think that Philly is a bad matchup for them because of Embiid. I think they got to just hope that they don't end up facing him in the finals. I think it would have been nice if they could have gotten another center that Doc trusted, who is a little bit better defensively as well. And you know, I just I think he's just not going to trust Zubac for. And Yovan Bua has been leading the charge here of the, that he should play more, but Harrell has a lot of equity there, obviously. So this still is a little bit of an odd team at times. They definitely, to me, have the most talent. They, in theory, have the most versatility. I think if I had to pick it right now, I'd pick them to come out of the West. But it's not going to be automatic. They have a lot of, of things that they still need to sort out here. And the lack of health has been a concern in helping Doc Rivers get to that point. Let's move on to the team they played on Monday night on our NBA.com debut, the Memphis Grizzlies, 28 and 28, 17 and 9 since the last 15 and 60. Their negative 1.6 net rating is 19th in the NBA, 18th in offense, 16th in defense. 538's model projects that they will win 37 games, which put them 10th. And they are one of the big differences between Raptor and Elo. 7% chance of making the playoffs in Raptor, 30% chance in Elo, who sees the, the, the race for the eight as being a lot more balanced. So that'll be worth watching. Uh, a couple pieces of housekeeping. They have waived Dion Waiters. I, you know, I, I, the team sometimes are overzealous about getting players that they think could be problems out of young locker rooms. We've seen it before. 
more. And the Grizzlies could have used Waiters as salary ballast. I think he actually could have helped them too. So I think they were overzealous here, especially considering like, and then also like if they were willing to just take him on, that's a reminder of how much they gave up for Justice Winslow in that trade because they took on, you know, Dion Waiters 12.6 million for next year. Also, Grayson Allen is going to miss the remainder of the year. He was out indefinitely with, with a left hip issue going back to January and now he shut down completely. And unfortunately, Jaron Jackson Jr., due to left knee issue, is going to be out for at least two weeks. That's when he'll be reevaluated. Yeah, it was a sprained knee that he suffered in Friday's game against the Lakers. And uh, Justice, did you mention Justice Winslow? I did not. I was leaving that for you. Yeah, yeah. He, he's out indefinitely. But this Jackson injury is a major problem for these guys. We mentioned how awesome they were offensively during that stretch in December into early January after John Morant came back from injury. That has slowed down a little bit. But these guys are 27th in the NBA in three-point attempt rate. And Jaron Jackson does so much for this team because he's still is big enough that a lot of times you have to guard him with a big but he's got basically the fourth highest three-point attempt rate for 36 minutes of any guy who might be considered a center or 6'11 or taller in NBA history I mean there's you guys like Bertans and Miritich but they're not really the same type of player as Jackson to me and Jackson plays a, a reasonable amount of center for this group other than that, there really isn't anyone else that you would look at as a good shooter. Even Grayson Allen is out for the year now. DeAnthony Melton is shooting under 30% from three. Uh, Dylan Brooks isn't, you know, he'll bomb him from out there on occasion, but he also likes to get into his dribble game and, and be a creator. Kyle Anderson really struggles to shoot the ball. They're basically going to be playing now, it looks like, two bigs, whether it's Clark, Jang, who has added a little bit of three-point bombing to his game in Minnesota, but you're still not thinking of him as like a huge stretch option. You know, his shot takes a long time to get off. So they're going to have Valanchunas, Clark, or Jang, really two of those three guys probably on the floor just about all times. And that's just going to be a major problem for them. It, it, like They were so reliant on that crazy shooting that Jackson provided, that quick release, shooting on the move, getting the bigs away from the rim that I mean they're probably now the worst three-point shooting team in the NBA without him especially now that Minnesota added so many guys oh for sure well yeah and and, you know Towns will be back pretty soon for them also but yeah this is a, a big time concern for them and at 28 and 28 they've got this pretty big lead they're three and a half ahead of new orleans but new orleans has this crazy easy schedule and they might be three ahead if they lose it as i think as is expected tonight in la with well, the clippers not, coming not only that, that ugly memphis loss. has the single hardest schedule remaining in the entire nba per uh tankathon's remaining uh there are different versions of it but i mean the grizzlies yeah. have a really it, really it's tough not easy and New Orleans is is very easy. So uh, that's a concern. I mean, the, it's a blessing for them that Dame Lillard suffered the injury that he did, that Portland is probably going to be stagnating a little bit. Portland did beat Detroit last night, but that's uh, no great shakes. And so I don't know. I, I mean, it's really, John Morant is just going to have to be unbelievable here and they'll, they'll have to do it defensively, I think, now at, at this point in time. Um, well, before we move on just yeah. a, a little bit to catch up on their newcomers, that's been the theme of this episode. Winslow, we said, hasn't played. You talked about that he's out indefinitely. Jordan Bell also hasn't played for them. They did the Bell-Caboclo swap. He doesn't appear to be hurt. I haven't seen anything on injury report. But the guy who is playing is, is Jang. He's 16 minutes a game in three games, and it looks like he's their backup center 
probably this year and next year, depending unless they restructure this rotation. But considering now the Grizzlies are capped out, there isn't as much urgency to move him to clear space or anything. Yeah, the hope would be that when Winslow comes back that and Jackson comes back, that he can really be a fifth big. Sure. Um, you know, and, and that Clark could play more than him. Um, another guy that they actually is kind of a newcomer to this team is Josh Jackson, who frankly has to play now. Uh, they get, remember they got rid of Solomon Hill and they got rid of Jay Crowder. Crowder was starting for them, and he at least stood out at the three point line and shot threes. They didn't necessarily go in, but he got guarded out there at least a little bit. Um, and I talked about this with Hollinger that in some ways I laud the Grizzlies for doing what they felt was best for the future, that they're not falling into the trap uh, as the Pelicans did in the early years of Anthony Davis of, oh, hey, wow, we're ahead of schedule. Let's make the playoffs here. And we're going to really accelerate this timetable. They, maybe you can argue, put a little bit too little emphasis on this year, especially because, you know, who knows when Winslow is going to be back. They claim that he's going to be back this year. We still have no idea what the actual diagnosis on this injury is. So I... I'm okay with them not making the playoffs this year. Uh, they are going to give their pickup, uh, most likely, uh, unless they get some crazy lottery luck, to the Boston Celtics. And, you know, they're not saying that they can't make the playoffs still, but they definitely did not prioritize that. Like, Crowder was a very important player for them. Uh, and Well, then you think about not only that, but what they got back. I mean, Wait- Waiters is already gone. Jang is their backup center. And they're, they have so many other bigs that there isn't a ton of upside, in, even if Jang is awesome. And then that's really about it. So, I mean, to give up players who help you, who are also on better contracts. I mean, it's a lot for Justice Winslow. We'll see if it works out. But, yeah, you brought up Josh Jackson. And it has been nice to see him get an opportunity originally on in in the G League and now a little bit more in the NBA but and there are positives there I mean he's shooting 82% at the rim which is fantastic 60% overall from two but Josh Jackson has always had this question about can he apply himself regularly and can he hit shots and the hitting shots part of it is not great so far no, he's six of twenty-four from three. It's going to be a prove-it type of thing for him. I mean, he he still is pretty aggressive on some of these threes, especially in the Lakers game once Jackson went down. Um, but I do like that he's reduced his usage. I mean, you remember some of these seasons in Phoenix? You know, he's in the twenty-five percent usage range and was one of the most damaging players in the league because he was so inefficient. Now he's getting thirty-three percent of his usage in transition. He does fit in very well to the pace that these guys want to play with it, and twenty-four percent on spot up that's good you know you remember a lot of his problem was he'd run these pick and rolls he'd barf up these floaters these long twos that at least he seems to have eliminated from his game he's only had eight possessions out of the pick and roll so far which is you know any small forward is going to have at least a few of those so that does seem to be knocked down he does seem to at least have a better understanding of his role haven't had a chance to really lock in on him defensively i think we'll get more of a chance to do that tonight so yeah, we'll get a chance to see what he looks like defensively tonight. I presume he's going to get some minutes on Kawhi. Shall we move on to the Wolves? Let's do it. Minnesota is 16 and 39, 6 and 21 since the last 15 and 60. Their negative 3.7 net rating is 24th in the league, 23rd in offense, 19th in defense, and 538 projects that they will end up being only ahead of the Warriors with 25 wins. They're not making the playoffs, and they're very much the walking wounded. The most important of those injuries is Carl Anthony Towns. He has a fractured wrist. He is out for at least two weeks. He, per John Krasinski, definitely desperately wants to play again this season, but I mean, you there are going to be some challenging forces at play here with lottery seating, but also playing with his friend, Angel Russell, who looks like is on a load management plan. And then also uh, Jake Lehman, 
is has been cleared to return to practice, so he's getting closer. Remember, he's been out since November. And then Evan Turner, who they acquired at the deadline in that big trade, it looks like he might not be long for Minneapolis. And this might also be the resolution, potentially, to something that I've been interested in, which is that Minnesota technically went over the tax line when they uh, made all those moves. And while paying a small amount isn't that big a deal as long as Glenn Taylor is okay with it, if I have it that they're 600000 over, might, there might be some, some funkiness there in terms of if they have to fill roster slots, anything like that. But so if Evan Turner gives up enough money, then they could get under the tax. And I'm sure that would be good for ownership considering how bad they've been this year. Yeah, James Johnson, maybe perhaps another potential buyout candidate, but they wanted to get rid of Turner so much that... yeah, yeah, yeah. I, guess that, I guess that's true, but they're playing James Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's still not a, a part of their long-term planning. Sure, He's sure. under contract for next year. I mean, maybe you can give them something. But uh, Turner, I mean, I had never heard of this before. They actually allowed him to work out for another team, the Clippers, while he's under contract and he has been away from the team. But the Clippers apparently did not bite. They went with Reggie Jackson instead. I mean, maybe the Lakers could have some interest. Maybe he would be better for them than Rondo in some respects. I'm not sure if that's true anymore because Rondo is actually a much better shooter than Evan Turner uh and credit to Rondo for how much he's improved his shooting despite some of his other foibles um another thing that popped up to you though is just these guys are like the anti-nuggets in terms of how unlucky they've been this season cleaning the glass does this of basically they 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 assess what a team's net rating would normally translate to in terms of wins and losses and then that's what they call luck is how far you deviate from that and minnesota is 5.4 wins behind their point differential expectation they have the differential of a 32 win team but are on the pace for 24 and 32 would be disappointing though i mean if we knew that carl anthony towns was going to miss those high that highly questionable time then maybe that would be a little bit different but when the team really underperforms it that can be taken a lot of different ways and at a certain point I think Rosas would have done largely like, a lot of what he did anyway like they were pursuing D'Angelo Russell before the season much less you know once it kind of fell off the rails and then the Beasley Wancho things were opportunistic but how differently ownership how differently fans would be thinking about it is, is something worth thinking about. Yeah, and this is something that we've talked about quite a bit is Golden State moved to heaven and earth to sign this guy, D'Angelo Russell, and now they basically made a bet against him being good and against the Wolves being good next year. So certainly that luck issue is going to matter. I'm sure we'll be talking about the Wolves like, no, 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 don't forget they had the point differential of a 32-win team when we're doing their their previews next year. But this is a, an interesting bet here from Rosas that maybe uh, this is just not the sort of moves. I mean, this is a move that maybe teams made, you know, years and years ago, right? Like you you would uh, trading for, and Russell, Russell's a little younger too. So that's maybe part of this. That they still view him as part of the court. He's under contract for a while. But that a team who, you know, as of now, I think most people would say does not project to make the playoffs next year, trading away a pretty lightly protected lottery pick. That very happens it does and we can go through some of the players they acquired start we'll have to start with D'Angelo Russell he's only played in three games because he was rested a little bit and he 34 minutes a game 22 points 10 assists and averaging 35 percent or 35 on on threes taking 9.3 of them per 36 minutes that's a high volume gotta be happy with that and while he has 57 percent true shooting Russell has only been over 50 percent from the field in one of those three games when he was 7 to 12 in the debut against Toronto but he did score 26 against Charlotte 
Yeah, I thought that Toronto game where they and Towns did play in that one before the break. And granted, that was, I think, Russell's first game. So he, he's getting integrated. Um, and he was very efficient. He used 21 points on 7 to 12 from the field. But he was, like, at one point, like, negative 30 and ended up negative 20 just with some garbage time. Uh, but I had, haven't really seen this with Russell that much. Uh, and I'm not sure what the reason is. Uh, maybe just the team. He never went against a team in the playoffs that really had the personnel to exploit him too much. And... You know, he's a little bit bigger, but Nick Nurse is like, oh, we're just going to go at him on every play once it got into crunch time. So Pascal Siakam, pick and roll ball handler. Russell is guarding a Kyle Lowry or Fred Van Fleet. They'd screen for him, get Siakam onto Russell, and Siakam was just cooking him time after time, setting up great looks, scoring himself. And, And we'll see whether that's something that is going to happen a lot. I mean, they got to at least get to being close at the end of the game before Russell can get taken advantage of, and maybe he can help them get there, considering how bad they've been the, the uh, you know, their entire existence basically outside of the KG years and the one Jimmy Butler year. So that's something to watch, though, is teams really going after Russell. And I mean, that's what I love about Nick Nurse is that he just he, he gets it. Like he knew that that was an open sore. The first game went after him. That's when they they blew the game open against him. Uh, anything else of note here from their other pickups? Yeah, I'll just talk briefly. I mean, Malik Beasley and Wancho Gomez, Rosas acquired both them pending restricted free agents on the idea that they might get below market contracts or that they can help Minnesota. And I think the early returns have been positive. Beasley, he's starting, started all five games. He's averaging 22 points per game and six rebounds in those 34 minutes a game. Now, some of that's going to tone down because he's making 44% of his threes, though he did shoot 40% last year. I, I think Beasley can can play a role, like be a potentially be a starting small starting shooting guard, maybe maybe on the starting backup fringe. I j- I've just liked his game for a long time. And then Wancho, he's been he's been freed out of out of that weird circumstance in Denver. I mean, remember his season got derailed by Mono back in 17-18, and then last year was a weird loss year too. He's averaging 14, 14 points, five rebounds, starting those games, playing 29 minutes a game. And we haven't really gotten to see the fully actualized, you know, the version because Towns and, and D'Angelo both missed time. But I'm so happy that they're at least getting the opportunity. And we'll probably, you know, the Wolves aren't going to have a lot to play for in terms of incentives, but the, it will be important for Rosas to evaluate who the heck they have for this team. And so how they do moving forward, those guys are more important than like James Johnson. And it's also weird just to file it away that Omari Spellman's been buried in the G League, considering Minnesota also traded their backup center in this. In, in their deadline deals yeah i thought spellman showed some things with the warriors when he got into better shape it was able to protect the rim got in the offensive glass he shot it well from three his pick and pop game looked pretty good uh you know i think he's better than like naz reed for example who uh was playing a lot in their loss at denver uh, as they've now uh, lost five straight in the russell era but and I felt bad for Spellman that he got traded basically just so, I mean, they didn't need it to make the trade legal. It was just so that they could get out of the tax, the Warriors, and he had really blossomed. It had taken to uh, the Warriors culture, it lost a bunch of weight. You know, he'd been really depressed, it seemed like, uh, at times in his Hawks tenure. And so it was just a reminder of the business, not to be too Warriors focused, but just for a young man who had really kind of blossomed in Golden State to some degree and then get traded. And now he's in the G League. To his credit, he's played well in the G League but I, I think he could be an NBA player still uh with the way he shot the ball this year and I think it, the Warriors uh, may actually miss him he's someone who could have maybe contributed uh, to them next year but probably not as much frankly as whoever they're going to get with the increased spending flexibility they'll have by not being in the repeater tax next year um Jacob Evans 
had his option year picked up uh i mean it wouldn't shock me if he just gets waived over the summer he'll probably play in the summer league and then uh, that'll be it for him uh jared vanderbilt we haven't seen much of him so far either for these guys so let's go to the portland trailblazers they are 26 and 32 12 and 16 since the last 15 and 60 negative 1.4 net rating is 17th in the league ninth in offense 25th in defense they are 538 projection is that they will win 39 games which will put them ninth just out and their raptor elo difference is nil it's uh, basically no it's 18 percent and then 17 percent respectively and that is a little bit interesting considering Damian Lillard is probably going to be out at least another couple more games. They did win that aforementioned game against Detroit on Sunday. Less importantly, Mario Hazonia is is still out as well uh, with a left ankle issue. And more importantly than Hazonia, Yusuf Nurkic suffered a calf strain at the end of January and is still making his way back. There was hope that he could return around now, but now it seems like things have been pushed back. Yeah, it, it seems like that has been a real setback for him. And, and when you consider it's really, it's tough to do much when you have a calf strain to stay in shape uh, to, to do the load bearing type of stuff that he needs to do to build up the strength in that leg uh, you wonder whether he's even going to be able to get out there at all and and the bench is just absolutely completely killing these guys anthony simons negative 8.9 net rating caleb swanigan their backup center negative 9.2 net rating hazonia who is mercifully out with an ankle sprain for a little bit here negative 10.9 net rating moses brown who played a little bit in real minutes against the pels before the break i he's only played 33 minutes on the year but it has a negative 50.9 net rating which he is uh earned i mean he, he looks like one of the i mean he's on a two-way so i, I don't want to kill him too badly but he, he looks uh very out of place on an nba court uh more so than just about any player that i can remember seeing um Let's talk about Trevor Ariza. Ariza's now been on the Blazers for 13 games, started all 13, averaging 10 and 5 in 32 minutes a game. The good news, Ariza is shooting 38% from three, though he's only taking 3.6 per 36 minutes. And his usage rate is at 12, which is actually higher than the 11-3 it was in in Sacramento. And so that's why his, you know, the the all-in-one type stats like PER aren't weighing highly because you have to have some actual volume. I think he's looked okay there. One question that I've been dealing with with the Blazers is they, they have this potentially modest amount of cap space, and especially since we expect Rodney Hood to pick up his player option considering he's hurt. And one possible way to handle it is actually to keep Ariza on that money for next year and then use the full mid-level exception. I wouldn't rather do that as of now, but I wouldn't be shocked if O'Shea feels differently. Yeah, and we mentioned that Swanigan has really struggled. We've talked many times uh, about it, why he's just not a great fit uh, as an NBA big. Haven't seen much from Wenyan Gabriel Anthony Simons, I mentioned his struggles with that negative 8.9 net rating. And this is another decision that the Blazers made where, you know, they're up against the tax. I mean, let's not forget they were pretty far into the tax, you know, thinking that this is a team that is going to contend. They made the but, Western you know, Conference they, Finals last year. Right. And they, uh, you know, they weren't able to retain Ennis Cantor with a competitive offer. They decided to bring back Rodney Hood uh, with non-bird rights and obviously they've really missed him uh, with the tourniquets he was having a, a nice season i still think they obviously had some struggles defensively with hood out there but he at least was, was a guy who has you know, hit shots in a blazers uniform and so they said hey we're not going to get a true backup point guard we're going to trust anthony simons 
And we have lauded them in the past for not going out and getting guys, trusting their development system, giving guys roles. They did the same thing with Zach Collins this year, in fact. And uh, maybe that would have worked had Collins not suffered that shoulder injury. There's some hope that he can return in March. But this is one that didn't work out. And you might say, hey, if you're really a team that is thinking about contending, this is a you know an unbelievable season from Damian Lillard that they're essentially just wasting right now, that maybe they should have pursued a, a, another veteran an option who at least maybe could have given them some emergency minutes if Simons wasn't ready and you know when you watch Simons it's not like oh man this guy is just awful but you know he's one of your key backcourt scores and he's not very efficient he's a second year guy doesn't have high level experience not a great defender I think he tries reasonably hard but you know he's not a a guy you should probably be in a rotation on a team with the aspirations that this team had well as an um, example Shabazz Napier former Blazer was on the scrap heap and Minnesota got him at basically as a salary dump in that complicated D'Angelo Russell transaction. I mean, Portland could be using him at bare minimum. Yeah, I mean, you'll recall that they could have just made Napier restricted free agent and probably ended up retaining him on a similar contract to right. uh, what he ended up signing. Um the Pelicans they they have gotten smoked by them a couple of times in, in which obviously were huge games for them some of their competition for the AC also lost one to Memphis uh, as well and the Pels are just absolute kryptonite for this team. Dame Lillard has missed his last 16 three-pointers including being held to only 4 in that game against the Orleans before the break then he missed the the one right after the break uh and this team i mean you just look at their roster and you're like who the hell is gonna guard zion they tried putting white side on him uh white side just was too slow zion was going right through him right around him they tried putting Whiteside on Derek Favors, but Whiteside wasn't mobile enough to come over and help when Zion was attacking Trevor Ariza. Carmelo Anthony, uh, I'll just spare you the laughter of him trying to guard Zion. They just had absolutely nobody with any answers for Zion. He had 30 on them. Um, Carmelo, been a nice story. Glad that he's back in the league. I think he still is an NBA player, especially having gotten into a little bit better shape. Uh, the one thing that he's actually been able to do is hit some more spot ups, which was a, a problem for him in particular in OKC. Uh, but uh, and the overall numbers uh, are not pretty. I mean, they're better than the guys he was replacing, you know, Hazonia and Tolliver. But aside from that. You know, he's really a bench score at best. 51% true shooting, 22% usage, and 44% on two-pointers. That's a big problem. 53% around the rim for a guy who's 6'8 is pretty rough. And, and that's actually looking more explosive than he did the last couple of years. And you remember his first game back, he went in and tried to dunk on Jackson Hayes. But, um, you know, he is, his finishing had really waned in the last couple of years, even before this. And so that's a problem. His most common play type is actually in the posts you know that mid post iso that's going to lead to a lot of long twos you're not going to shoot a good percentage there a lot of those post-ups are coming on plays where they're running a pick and roll first getting the switch and then dumping it down to him in the post but because he's such a poor finisher on the rim the idea of oh he's going to just put this smaller guy in the goal doesn't really necessarily materialize doesn't get to the line very much either uh as he's been used a lot as a role man and if they play it conventionally pick and pop hasn't shot it particularly well on those pick and pops either a 0.78 points per possession as the role man it is pretty ugly so it, he's a, a bench score on a bad bench offense is what he is at this point in time and yeah he's not as bad defensively as he was the two years before that but i mean this team is the number 25 defense in the nba and he's a big part of that anything else on the blazers can we move to sacramento yeah let's finish it out with the 23 and 33 kings 11 and 16 since we last checked in on them 
negative 3.3 net rating is 22nd in the NBA. They are 21st on offense and 22nd on defense. They project for 11th in the conference with 36 wins, 4% chance at the playoffs under Raptor, 5% under Elo. And the injury news is not amazing. Marvin Bagley is going to be reevaluated in a further three weeks. The Kings announced a couple of days ago that sprained left foot talked about this some with hollinger of just you know what is the plan going to be now because rashawn holmes is pretty good they played some of their best basketball with him on the floor this year are you still going to be a prisoner to the idea that marvin bagley is going to be your second star and you got to fit everything around him or are you just going to do what wins games and say hey marvin you got to fit into that uh when he comes back which you know he hopes to return this year but there are certainly no indications uh that that is a likelihood as of now it is good that Rashawn Holmes will be coming back. He had a P- he had a PRP treatment, and he'll be back in a couple a week or two. And, yeah, and it, that it was a, a shoulder issue. He's yeah. been out much longer than was initially anticipated. However. That is true. And we also got a note. I can't remember what the sourcing might have been. Amick uh, talking about that if if healed is still displeased with his role remember it's shifted around uh, over the last little bit coming off the bench the, a source with knowledge of his thinking says that he'll might request a trade he'll believe that he's a starter in the nba and there's no guarantee he'll get that job back because the team has played better since they moved him to the bench yeah and and bogdanovich they made these maneuvers so that they could be sure to re-sign him and so it's not clear exactly what's gonna happen if bagley's fate i incidentally probably affects healed as well i mean maybe bogdanovich could start at the three sometimes and healed at the two and B- Harrison Barnes at the four but that would mean that Bagley was coming off the bench if Bagley is going to start then Barnes is probably going to be your three and one of Bogdanovich or Heald has to come off the bench um what have you seen from Harry Giles who's actually been starting so now he had passed Dwayne Dedman in the rotation before Dedman's inevitable trade he got that fourth year option declined uh, for four million which was a, a puzzling move at the time I think they were just uh, even back then concerned a little bit about the tax and re-signing Bogdanovich and healed so what do you make of his season I'm conflicted on it. I remember I saw a little bit of film on Giles before he got riddled by injuries in high school and was intrigued by his potential. And I think those those lofty ceiling days are, are, are over now. And it's worth rem- remembering that while Sacramento cannot, he's so Giles will be an unrestricted free agent and Sacramento cannot sign him for more than the declined option, which was about $4 million. They can theoretically bring him back. The, a recent example of that was Kevon Looney. You could also think back to Austin Rivers on the Clippers. But Giles, I, I think of him, so there are definitely positives there um he's a solid passer for his size and role he could be he could be modestly efficient offensively and he's been better to me defensively this year than last year but not great far from it but what bothers me is that to be at this point in his career Giles is 21 he's a man without a country in terms of big man so he doesn't space the floor well enough to really play power forward offensively yeah. I think he actually I mean he hasn't really been asked to do that I think he might be able to get there seeing him he has some. a projectable jump shot I remember yeah. going back to the summit yeah well and even in summer league I think he was taking more threes I, I thought his long two looked pretty good uh, at times like I, I think maybe he could get there to having that be part of his game is maybe like an Al Horford light with his passing ability setting up back doors and then stepping out uh, for three pointers like I think that maybe that could be uh, his destiny but but the light we're not is, close the, to that right the light now. is a problem there too physically because to me he doesn't have the ability to defend centers and then that's what makes it really hard because if a player can't really defend fives and can't really play the five 
and can't really play the four offensively, they generally don't work out. I'm not writing off Giles. He's 21, far too young for that. But my general read, and so the, the all-in-one metrics, PIPM has him as a slight, uh, as more negative than positive, positive on, on defense slightly and negative on, on offense. RPM, negative on both. You know, not not huge, not huge, hugely awful in either. And my instinct with Giles at this point is... I would be interested, depending on how he develops, in having him when he's 24, so like three years of development, but he is not worth it for me to have him on roster between now and then. So you want him to develop on somebody else's dime, whether that's in the NBA, potentially maybe in the G League or Europe, but there, I think that there could be a good potential player there, but the guy I kept on thinking about was Jermaine O'Neal. Jermaine O'Neal came in from high school, dealt with dealt with some injury stuff and also just, you know, maturity stuff when he played with the Blazers, which Giles doesn't have a lot of that, but it took it took Jermaine O'Neal a while, but teams were, it was a little bit more patient because Jermaine O'Neal ended up being like a, a legit starter in the league, and I don't see that as a likely enough outcome for Giles to make him a priority. I mean, Jermaine O'Neal was the best player on a 60-win team. Exactly. In, in 2004. I mean, and, and Jermaine O'Neal was a wonderful defensive player with, with his shot blocking. He could also post up. He had more size as well. It was also a different era when teams were playing. I mean, Jermaine O'Neal played next to another center. I mean, that's crazy to think about uh, on those Pacers teams. Uh, and maybe the the worst scoring conference finals ever, which was uh, 2004 between the Pistons and Pacers. I mean, those were two of the best defensive teams of all time with some of the personnel they had on those teams. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see the, the comp there because he doesn't have anywhere close to and that's exactly what i was getting at it's like the types of players that you wait on have to have enough upside that's what i was getting at yeah no that that makes perfect sense now i think you're being a little harsh on him because if you go and look at some of these teams like the blazers for example would love to have harry giles as their backup center right now i mean i think you know the warriors would probably love to have harry giles as their backup center right now so and maybe we're on a playoff team yeah you know that role might be a little too outsized for him but when you're just talking about him as being in the league as a player who can give you some minutes at backup center has a decent skill level good kid tries hard like you could do worse you could and but what i was getting at more there was that I would let somebody else take that, you know, have him because there's so many centers in the league right now. Like the the replacement level is incredibly high, and I would want somebody who is who I trust more defensively, especially on a, on a good team or just somebody that needs some something reliable as a backstop. But yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a place for Giles too. It's just it probably wouldn't be with my team if I were running it. I'd let. Yeah, no, that that's fair. I mean, but you know, if you need someone who can do some stuff at the elbows and maybe post up a little bit and be a place role, yeah, I mean, you might even say you're better off going small than playing him you know, there's a, a, a lot of reasons to, to think that but um i mean for what's likely it'll be uh close to a minimum deal this off season you might be able to and do if, worse if that's all he's if that's all he's getting it wouldn't shock me if the warriors signed him i i could see him as a reclamation project they'd be interested in absolutely um how are the rest of these newcomers from the trades uh what's their role been here for the kings as we wrap up jabari and len have each only played in one game len played 16 minutes in that win on sunday over the clippers the afternoon game and jabari played 15 minutes in the win over memphis I don't really know where Jabari fits in the rotation. And remember that they that the Kings did, quote-unquote, get off of Deadman's money, but they also took back Jabari Parker, who has that $6 million, $6.5 million player option for next year, so they didn't actually cut that much salary. I, I just... 
I just don't really love his fit with this team and, and most. I've been lower on Jabari than, than damn near everybody. And then Bazemore and Tolliver have been there longer. Bazemore's played in 13 games, playing 21 minutes a game as a, you know, kind of a role player. I think he's been he's been fine, been hitting his three so far. And then Tolliver played in nine games, but all of those really came before they retooled every, before the, the deadline. He has only played in one of the last five, and that was in the game when they got absolutely trucked by Dallas. So I, I believe he played primarily in garbage time. All right, well, that is it for us here. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back Tuesday night. I think we're going to try and do a gamer. It's been a long time for that, so we'll talk to you all then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.